baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Amy Marks Corps, Chris Ranji on KMOX. It is Thursday morning. It's after 1030, and it means one thing. It means it's time to visit with Major Garrett. He is the chief Washington correspondent for CBS News, visiting with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. You also want to check out the book, author of The Big Truth. That's who he is, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. The Big Truth. It's a really good book. I have a signed copy. No big deal. Uh, host of the Takeout podcast. Also, Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. We've got Major Garrett with us this morning. Good morning, Major. Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy hey, New Happy New Year, Year to you. And uh, we had a, a listener who texted in and, and wanted to uh, acknowledge the black and gold tie you wore on television to celebrate your Missouri Tigers bowl win. Yes, that was before we actually won the bowl game. That was okay. my way of trying to increase the, uh, let us say, karmic um, momentum behind the Missouri Tigers, and it worked. We beat Ohio State later on that evening. But, yes, that was not just a black and gold tie, but for those who were particularly eagle-eyed in the last segment of the CBS Evening News that evening, you could see the Mizzou logo at the very bottom of that tie if you were paying oh. highly close attention. So, yes. I think um, – I think the tie is what pushed them over the edge because yeah. the first 75% of that game was so boring, I almost died. <laughs> was it 3 nothing for like I don't know, it was so two hours? Yeah. <laughs> it was like a hockey game. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, but Jimbo thanks you. Uh, well, it was great. And um, I was tempted to sign off MIZ, but I decided that uh, I was better to preserve my career and, uh, and, and not try to weave that in there, you know. But just another example of a a prominent uh, broadcaster reminding us all he went to Mizzou. That's they, they <laughs> Hardly ever happens, that. does it? Oh, oh, you and Syracuse and Northwestern people, you should all start a club. <laughs> they did. It's called uh, success. We 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 wouldn't let them in the club. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's be clear. Let's be clear. Uh, there's one club. There's there one go. club. There okay. There's well, one club. It's the Mizzou club. That's well, right. <laughs> We've earned it, and we when we patrol it. That's right. That's what they. That's what gatekeeping is for. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, speaking of people not allowed in the club, um, Donald Trump is appealing the Supreme Colorado Supreme Court's yeah. ruling. Uh, mm-hmm. um, he, I think he appealed yesterday officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, there was a ruling in Maine. Yeah. Where are we with that appeal? Okay, so Maine is a different category. Maine has a law, state law. And remember, the Constitution defers to states most of the control over its elections, time, manner, and place, and how you resolve disputes. Maine has a law that if voters ask the state, the Secretary of State about a candidate, the Secretary of State is under Maine law obligated to render a judgment about whatever question is being asked about the qualifications of a candidate. That's what happened in Maine. And the Secretary of State said, 
I take this question because I'm obligated under state law. I offered an opinion. Trump's disqualified. And under Maine law, it goes to the courts immediately. It goes to the courts immediately under Maine law. So everything is happening according to what Maine law says can and should happen. Similarly, in Colorado, Republican voters went to the Secretary of State and essentially said, you have to take Trump off the ballot. Secretary of State said, I, I don't know whether I have to take the Trump off the ballot or not. Let's have the first Colorado District Court, then the Supreme Court look at this. The Supreme Court looked at it and reached a judgment. There are different procedures, same result, both held in abeyance because both are going to be reviewed judicially. Maine by the courts in Maine and now Colorado by the Supreme Court. The one thing that ties them together is that the Supreme Court cannot ignore a central fact, which is this question has to be resolved. So the status of Trump on primary and general election ballots can be decided and affirmed, whatever that is, off or on, for all jurisdictions, because this will come up in other states. And the Supreme Court knows that. In the brief filed by the Trump attorneys yesterday, which I read, they basically said the 14th Amendment Clause 3 is not self-executing. You need some kind of determination that there was an insurrection and then Trump engaged in it. Absent that, you can't apply this. That the Colorado law doesn't allow this particular kind of intervention, so you should overrule it on that basis. And Trump didn't engage in insurrection. And all questions of qualification should be left to Congress and not the states. Lawyers who are constitutional experts will dispute that and argue back and forth, but that's essentially the argument laid before the Supreme Court. The larger question for the Supreme Court is when, not if, the Supreme Court cannot allow jurisdictions all over this country to by themselves debate this question of ballot eligibility. It has to step in, even though I guarantee you it does not want to. It does not want to. It's going to have to. And I'm not, I've, I've tried to read heavily about this and go through the history and the precedent. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't have an expert opinion on this, but everyone I've talked to who is pretty close to these sorts of issues believes the Supreme Court is going to allow Trump to be on the ballot and resolve this for all jurisdictions. When that happens, I don't know, but I imagine it will happen before the end of this month is over. Major, the uh, southern border has been mm -hmm. getting a ton of attention for a sure. very long time. There is clearly mm -hmm. an issue that needs to be addressed there. Um, senators, in a bipartisan effort, apparently working behind closed doors to come up with something. Uh, the House doesn't seem to be moving that direction. So what sort of, in an election year, what mm -hmm. sort of progress is going to get made on the southern border? Well... <clears throat> Everything you described is true, which makes it very difficult. And under normal circumstances, I would bet against anything being resolved. However, because the administration has essentially agreed with the proposition laid forth many, many weeks ago by the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, put your priorities, Ukraine, Israel aid, along with border security. That's the only way you're going to be able to get them. So focus your attention on those and keep everything wound together. And because the Ukraine aid is such an overwhelming priority for the Biden White House and for many Senate Democrats and a fair number of Senate Republicans, there's a possibility. 
what will have to be realized by the Biden White House is it's going to lose everything on border policy. Everything. You're going to have to make concessions absolutely unimaginable six months ago. Why? Because the situation is chaotic. You're now under intense political pressure from your own party, mayors in Denver, Chicago, New York, and elsewhere, who are now having to deal with the influx of migrants bust from Texas principally in what can only be described as a cynical but yet shrewd and effective move by the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, to essentially export the migrant problem in Texas to Democratic constituencies to bring them face-to-face with what he deals with and other border states deal with, now the White House is under pressure. And the pressure is intense, and we are no longer having that conversation that Americans have had about this issue for years. Comprehensive. It's not comprehensive. It's not the left gets something and the right gets something. It's going to be principally what House Republicans demand and what you can get through in the Senate and get through with a bipartisan majority of some Republicans and some Democrats in the House. Long way to go. The probabilities are against it. But if the White House wants to get this issue to a place where it is not just a pressure point and a political loser for the White House and get some Republican buy-in, it's going to have to make some pretty big concessions. And once it does, then at least can share responsibility for border policy and get Ukraine aid as a fringe benefit. But it's going to have to swallow things that it would not even have discussed six months ago in terms of policy on the border that looks much more like Trump policy than Biden policy. And also switching to the Arabian Peninsula, what's happening with the Houthi rebels and the way they keep attacking commercial ships. Um, The Biden administration, I think, understandably reluctant to escalate matters, but it it does feel like that that U.S. naval assets and those of its allies are Mm -hmm. purely defensive at this point and almost feels like we're at the mercy of this I I say ragtag. The the Houthi rebels are kind of ragtag, except they're funded by Iran. And it feels Mm -hmm. it feels like there's an imbalance here. It's asymmetrical. And yet the ragtag group is holding us hostage. Well, that's that's a fair interpretation, Amy. Um, And I think the administration has had two goals. One, do not enlarge this by taking on Iran directly or enlarge it in a way that Iran greenlights its other proxies in other places like Hezbollah in Lebanon to engage militarily with Israel, which would essentially open a second front of that war while Israel deals with Gaza and Hamas, which is not an insignificant priority for this administration. The Houthi rebels, ragtag though they are, and ragtag is probably not accurate, uh, they conducted a seven-year war in Yemen, mm-hmm. uh, and did so ferociously with a lot of damage, humanitarian and otherwise. So they're not exactly inexperienced or without capabilities. And you don't need many capabilities to harass defenseless cargo vessels in that particular part of the world. You just need to bother them. And then the U.S. Navy needs to step in. And, of course, the United States has tried to build this larger coalition of nations who want to keep, obviously, cargo vessels moving, moving quickly. Why? Supply chains. Why supply chains? Supply chains, inflation, all those things are interlinked. And 
the administration has not wanted to do anything that is regarded as anything other than responsive. If you don't bother the ships, we're not going to shoot you out of the water. Well, recently, we shot them out of the water. said, stop harassing the vessels. And if you keep doing it, we're going to shoot you out of the water. We're not just going to fly over you and do warning shots. We're going to blow you out of the water, which has now recently happened. So we're at this sort of rough position where the coalition led by the United States doesn't want to be hyper-aggressive because it doesn't want to expand things and create more problems elsewhere on the map in the Middle East, but also, to your point, can't ignore it. And we can't now have huge shipping vessels redirecting themselves and adding a week or more to their journey because they're not using the Red Sea or the Suez Canal anymore. So it's a huge complication. And why is Iran doing it? Iran does it for a very specific reason. That economic pressure, which is distributed across the world, focuses on the U.S., which then they believe the Biden administration will lean on the Israeli government to back off in Gaza, and that's how Iran is playing this chessboard. And it's complicated as all get out. Major, tell us who is on the Takeout podcast this week. So as people have been noticing uh, between flu, RSV, and COVID, after the holidays and traveling and get-togethers, there are some increases in cases. So we have the Surgeon General for the Trump administration, Dr. Jerome Adams. He's at Purdue University now. And we are talking about all those things in general and some of his reflections on dealing with the height of COVID and the height of the pandemic when he was in the Trump administration. Some things went well, some things didn't. But it's a conversation about all of that and very much topical this week. We'll talk again next week, Major. Thank you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 